The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Autism Live and to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. And uh, Nancy is attempting to join, she says, and it says that she is backstage, uh, Traven. So I'm not seeing her, but we think she's there with us somewhere. So if you can check or check with her as to why it's saying she's backstage, I'm not sure. Uh, But uh, Nancy is away, and so she was joining uh, via a different way. So I think that could be answering some of our technical difficulties here. But I'm here. I'm Shannon Penrod, and Nancy's here somewhere and and hopefully going to join us soon. Uh, So excited to be here with you on this wonderful Friday. Today is August 13th. 2021. And I know that many of you, your kiddos are back to school today. And that just takes my breath away. I just can't even get over that. So we've got a lot that we're going to do here today on the show. Certainly, I'm, I'm sure that'll come up in topics. We've got some in the news that Nancy and I want to share with you. And then a little bit later on in the program, Vince Redmond, licensed marriage and family therapist is going to be here with us. Our topic today is talking about what we do. Um, uh, Oh, oh, Traven just pointed out to me that it's Friday the 13th, and I didn't realize that before. Thanks now, Traven. I'm like reading that question. Um, so anyway, yeah, no, it's I didn't realize that it's Friday the 13th. Well, that explains a lot, doesn't it? Uh, in any case. Uh, so Vince is going to be here with us. We're not going to talk about it being Friday the 13th, although I guess that could come up. Really what we're going to be talking about today is what you do when you're not able to access enough or any quality ABA therapy and the feelings and the frustration and the grief and the guilt and all the things and the the anger that frankly that comes up with all of that because we always here want to deal with and accept the feelings and not poo poo them we know that that's not the way to deal with our feelings here but to acknowledge them and go yep you know we're feeling this but then maybe find a pathway of what's possible and that's going to look different for different people so we're going to talk about that with Vince we really need a licensed marriage and family therapist to talk about that with us because I I don't know about you but the emotions go wow right um and then they're like this mess that I don't know I don't know what to do with it and then we have to kind of shape it into all right what are we doing and then we get on the pathway and then it's more manageable yeah So we're going to talk about that a little bit later. I do want to point out that we're live this entire hour. Uh, Well, fingers crossed, right? (laughs) If the internet gods are with us, we will be live the entire hour. And we're live on a lot of different platforms right now. We're live right now on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook Live. And we're also live on our homepage, autism-live.com, as well as a bunch of other places that Trayvon will list here on the screen for you. So uh, hopefully you guys will be able to find places to be. Good morning, Christina. I hope you're feeling well. We've been sending you lots of good, good uh, mojo, mojo, juju. What is the thing? Sending it to you though. Love and healing. Um, I also want you to know that this show is a a podcast. It's a free download wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Okay, Trayvon, I hope you're seeing that Nancy says that she needs to be at it. So 
uh, this is a free podcast. We are the number one. I don't know why you wouldn't base it on today, how this is going today, but we are the number one rated autism podcast worldwide. And it is a free download. We are really committed here to providing information and inspiration to people around the world who are looking for answers and connection and hope. We welcome everyone here, and you don't have to have a credential to be here. You don't have to have a diagnosis of autism to be here. But of course, we always say that individuals that have a diagnosis are the beating heart, the center of our community. We welcome you here. We want to hear your voice in whatever way you communicate, and we want to hear your point of view on things. But we also welcome everyone who loves you. Everyone who loves individuals who are on the autism spectrum is welcome here. And if you're just coming to that love and it's new to you, that's okay. Welcome. Claim your seat. Let's be here together. Let's hold hands. Because you know what I always say here? Si se puede. We can do this. We can. But I think it's wrong to think um, that, that anybody can do this by themselves. Um, I just, I don't know anybody who has been successful at being able to do this by themselves. I think we all need people to help us and to shore us up and to provide that safe place to fall, you know? Um, and so we want that to be that here. We like lovingly say that we're not all going to agree. How could we? We're all individuals and everybody needs something different. This can't be a one size fits all community, but bring yourself, bring all the baggage that you have and all the hopes and dreams that you have. And we just want to be welcome and accepting of everyone's ideas, their thoughts, their feelings, how they express themselves, uh, what they're frustrated with. Everybody is entitled to their story. Yes. So uh, we, we've got, uh, we got to refresh here. Are we going to pause for that? Uh, and, and are you going to do it right now, Draven? He's going to refresh. If you lose me for a second, hopefully I'll be right back. But we're trying to see what we need to do to get Nancy in the story here. Oh, you already did it. Uh, we refreshed. I didn't notice it. It did not work. So I'm going to let him work on that because we're pressed for time I'm going to go ahead and start talking about our news stories and hope that we can get Nancy, Nancy Allspot Jackson in here on location because she's away. Um, and that's part of why we're having difficulties this morning. So we're working on it, Nancy. First story that we, we got two stories that we're bringing you today from a wonderful, wonderful news outlet called Spectrum. And you can Google that, spectrumnews.org, if you want to go directly. Um, and they carry a wide variety of news. And today we have two stories from them. Um, and often we have stories for them because... Sometimes it's a story that appears on lots of other outlets, but I just like the way um, Spectrum, uh, you know, consolidates and sometimes includes information and context that is meaningful to us here. So really love Spectrum News. Give them a check out. Um, but today, the first story from them uh, is entitled Large Study Strengthens Link Between Autism. Nancy! Ha <laughs> We've got her. That's amazing. That's so Hi! I feel as, as excited as if I was in the room with you. That was I'm so cool. excited. I'm coming to you from Big Bear. So you see the stone fireplace in back of me? I was outside, but it was a little too warm out there. So I came inside for you. It's gorgeous. And you're gorgeous. I'm Thank so you. glad that you're here. So where I, are we, Shannon? Well, you missed all the stuff about where to watch us. And now That's we're right. at the point where on the first news story, which is the Spectrum News, large study strengthens link between autism and preterm birth. And you I, know, just, Shannon, I just introduced it. Surprised me because I have had many friends that have had premature children that have children on the autism spectrum. And I've long suspected this from my, just my own, um, you know, evidence with this. Yeah. I mean, I think we've heard this story in a lot of different iterations, which is different in this particular study and article is that I think we're really drilling down and honing in on one, on what, the the moment is and that it seems that i believe that, that the article says that it's anybody born before the seven, 37th week of gestation is at a significantly higher risk for autism yeah. that's the first time i've heard it that specifically how about you yeah. nancy it's the first time i've heard it that specifically too and this is the largest scale study 
that's ever been done on this. So they went to great lengths to get this information. And one of the things that I've often wondered, well, they're saying, first of all, that it's roughly 30% have a higher chance of having autism than those born full term. And I don't know, Shannon, have you ever heard whether they've done a study on in vitro and autism? Because that's one I'd be interested to see as well, because a lot of premature births are from in vitro. Yeah, I mean, I certainly have heard that anecdotally, but I'm not aware of a study. We should let our research team know that that's something we'd be interested in. Yes, I'm um, interested in that. You know, because I think that that's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. I What I love about this and saying that, look, 30% higher risk at, before the 37th week, I think that that will resonate with a lot of people in a lot of different ways so that people, listen, you know, we've, we've all been aware of people who decide that they're going to have, a, I think doctors try not to have this happen, but there are people who decide that they're just, they're pregnant and they're done with it. And they, you know, there's always been this thing about if you've gotten to the 35th week, that it's relatively, you know, lower risks if you do a scheduled C-section. In fact, doctors don't want you to wait for a scheduled C-section all the way to the 40th week. But knowing that you don't really want to do it before the 37th week because that there are some risk factors, but there are times when a baby, of course, has to be born previous, you know, with um, before the 37th week. And if that's the case, then that child should receive additional screening mm-hmm. to catch it early so that we can do early intervention and perhaps help them so that they don't get further behind than they might have otherwise. So I thought that was a really strong takeaway because you know me, a lot of times these studies, I'm like, yes, and duh. Um, but now having that information, 30, you, you know, it always used to be that, you know, uh, you wanted to get past a certain week because of this development and you wanted to get past a certain week because of the lungs and you wanted to get past another gate. Well, now we have one more piece of information that we know it's best to make it to past the 37th week because you have a higher risk for autism. So yeah. I, I'm deeply appreciative, but people can check that out in, uh, at spectrum news, spectrumnews.org. I want to move on to the study. We're going to get to another spectrum story in a second, but I want to move on to this very interesting study about, uh, how we sing. And if that is a predictor of autism, do people on the spectrum sing differently than people not on the spectrum? What did you think about this study, Nancy? I thought it was really interesting. I, you know, the differentiation, the differentiation between um, how those on the spectrum sing and those who are not on the spectrum sing, they, they, uh, I'm trying to look at the two different forms of uh, vocal imitation. It's pitch. Yes. Um, Absolute pitch and relative pitch. Never heard of these terms before. Right. Right. I've never heard those terms used before. And they they used an example of the nursery rhyme, Mary had a little lamb and the differences between how those on the spectrum uh, sang this song and those not on the spectrum. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not sure, like, because I'm not a music person. And like I said, I'd never heard the term absolute pitch and relative pitch. I'd certainly heard perfect pitch before. Um, and they're relating this to how we address language that um, how that there are people who can sing Mary Had a Little Lamb um, and they're not on pitch the whole time, but they get the gist of it, mm-hmm. right? And then there are other, but if you were to tear it apart and say to them, no, I need you to sing this note on you know, Mary and this note on Had and the Little Lamb, which is really what you do when you're doing an instrument, right? I immediately thought of when my son had to do, uh, he was in a bell choir in, in uh, grade school. And each person had to not only know their note, but know the timing. And it was specific. This note has to be here. Or we don't get the tune. And, and so for people on the spectrum, it appears that they process the, the relative pitch, which is catching the tune and being yeah. relatively on pitch or that absolute being able to pick it apart and just be on a note in the right note than people who are not on the spectrum. And that this correlates to being able to understand the gist of a language or understanding it if it's taken apart. I thought that was fascinating. I'm not sure that I completely understand it. Right. I'm not sure that I do either. But as you said, the takeaway is that autistic participants perform better on imitating the structure of the tune. That's the relative pitch. 
yeah. than they did on the exact form, which is the absolute pitch. And of course, whenever we see these studies, this brings up questions for me that I that I want to know, is it, if that's the case, it does it help our kiddos on the spectrum for them to learn an instrument where they are learning absolute pitch with a song? Like, does it? You know, I know that I had a hard time understanding grammar. I just, I think I had a bad teacher. I didn't really get it. It wasn't until I learned, began learning to speak Spanish. Like I didn't understand past perfect and all those tenses until I was learning Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, and that then it helped me to understand the English language better because I was understanding language. I had something to compare it to. I'm wondering if this is the case with our kiddos, what happens when we give them an instrument where they have to get to absolute pitch. Hmm. But that's not what the study is about. But these are the things that my inquiring mind lays awake at two o'clock in the morning and goes, huh, I wonder if they looked at it that way. Um, But I do think that this is just another piece of information that helps us to understand how uh, a brain, an autistic brain functions differently. This is something Temple Grandin has been talking about for a long time. Um, that, you know, you've, you've heard me talk before to kids when parents come up and say, can you please explain autism to our neurotypical child who has a sibling on the spectrum? And the thing that I always say is that it's like, one is a Mac and one is a PC. I don't think that anybody should talk, be talking about this one is better than that one. They process things in a different way, but if we give the right apps, both can get there. Um, and this might just be another app. Mm -hmm. that people on the spectrum process the sounds of language and musicality in a different way than people who are not on the spectrum. Not better or worse, just different. Different. Interesting. Okay. So now let's talk about sleep. Nancy, what's your sleep like? Do you have insomnia? Are you a good sleeper? I am now a good sleeper. It takes me a little bit of time to fall asleep, but once I fall asleep, I sleep straight through the night. That wasn't always the case. I suffered from insomnia um, about five, four years ago and had difficulty sleeping. But as of late, I do much better. And I attribute that to exercise. If I don't, you know, if I don't exercise on a regular basis, I, I'm not as prone to getting a good night's sleep. And also when it comes to Wyatt, my son, uh, when he was much younger, when he was an infant and a toddler, he had a lot of sleep issues, but now he goes right to sleep at nine 30. That's amazing. And I, I, I will tell you, I attribute that to you because I think that you guys keep a very clean sleep schedule. We do. He, we have he's he's on a schedule. good sleep hygiene, as they call it. He exactly. Has a, yeah. He has well, a protocol at night. He gets to have, uh, depending on what he earned, he gets to have time on his iPhone at night and he can earn anywhere from five to 10 minutes. And once that time earned has been accomplished, he's got to shut that iPhone down and go to sleep. And he does. Well, and that's amazing. And you deserve a parenting award for that. And I would get the opposite. I would get the giant pile of poo award because I am not good at this. And we have a study here that that is also in spectrum about genetic roots of sleep issues. Autism may be entwined. And let me just say that I'm a longtime sufferer of insomnia, that uh, sleep, you know, has always been an issue in my life. And it was in my dad's. And just this morning, I was in the car with an 18-year-old that that is genetically partially mine and who has big sleep issues. And, and I was talking to him about sleep hygiene and what they say works and how not good I am at that. Because when you lay awake at night and can't go to sleep, setting a time that you have to go is anxiety-provoking. It's hard like to get on that sleep schedule. So you deserve an award. But this new study has said that it might be that this is genetic and that it is an indicator of having a genetic predisposition for people to be on the autism spectrum. And they looked at, and I think the takeaway from this is that, um, you know, I, I had been saying to my son, well, it's, you know, it runs in the family and. Uh, You're just going to have to deal with it and blah, 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 blah. But this has made me realize that perhaps it's a little bit deeper than that. And yeah, it runs in the family, but that doesn't mean we just dismiss it. I I think the thing that which was not supposed to be the takeaway for this article, but was for me, is that they talk about what percentage of kiddos on the autism spectrum 
are on melatonin to help them because the problem is that big, big that they've said, okay, this is something that they need to have. Which, um, Shannon, it says up to 90% of people with autism have disrupted sleep and about yeah. 30% have a clinical diagnosis of a sleep disorder. Yeah. I mean, I think I knew that it was, it was pretty prevalent, but I don't think I realized that it was that prevalent. And I certainly, somewhere in there, they have a statistic about how many of those people are also on melatonin. I don't think I had any idea that it was that big of a deal. Um, so, but there are a bunch of statistics in this article. Um, it says 23% of the people in the study um, who, who were on the spectrum and had insomnia um, took melatonin. And that that's higher than the, than the average excuse me, of people who have sleep issues. So we're hearing that that's being prescribed a lot. I don't know. I have no experience taking melatonin. I know that Dr. Grampy-Shea, it's not her go-to to recommend just melatonin. That she, There's a product called Tranquil Sleep that she likes. Okay. It, has a, it has melatonin, tryptophan, and, and something else that's in it because yes, she maintains that. Right. Did we you know tranquil sleep when Wyatt had sleep issues? Well, yeah. I think I'm going to have to order some for a certain young man in my house Be because she maintains that melatonin is great, um, but that it, if you if you have certain sleep issues that you'll take it, it'll help you to go to sleep, but then you'll wake back up if your sleep issue is something else. So that, you know, many times on the show, she's talked about tranquil sleep um, and why she likes it. Uh, but I think at this point, I'm going to have to explore this deeper. It's not something that ever occurred to me that we should be talking about with his physician. But after reading this article, I'm like, oh, this this sounds like a really real thing that I should not poo-poo. Um, and that my initial thing, which was making me poo-poo, it was, oh, it just runs in the family. Well, it turns out that's true, too, because almost all of the people that they studied had family members uh, direct family members, sometimes it was twins and on both sides, fraternal and maternal twins. Often a parent had sleep issues. Often a cousin had sleep issues. I, I think, and it's interesting, did you did you do the 23andMe, uh, Nancy? Have you no, done that yet? Well, it's a fascinating thing. Jim gave it to me for my birthday, I think, last year. And I learned so much. And every once in a while, they send me uh, a study where they ask me questions. And most recently, I answered one about, do I have sleep issues? So, um, and 23andMe has helped tremendously uh, with, with a lot of different factors, including autism. Um, so uh, I think it, it will be very fascinating to see what, what happens next with that and with this. All right, and then on to our last story, which I'm so glad we're leaving it on a really nice palate cleanse, a good story uh, about jobs in the marketplace and um, making sure that people on the autism spectrum not only have access to good jobs and training to get good jobs, but that they're being helped and supported and that the playing field is being leveled as far as interviews. Today's yeah. story... Google is teaming up with Stanford University in this effort to make the workforce more new. Yeah. And, and this was in a lot of different news outlets too, but we're quoting it from Disability Scoop for people who want to read more about this. Uh, we thank D Disability Scoop for all that they're doing. I, you know, I love these stories, Nancy. I almost on a daily basis, I get something that pops up in my Facebook uh, uh, from our dear friend, Joanne Lara. Uh-huh who was the founder of Autism Works Now. And this right. was a big part of the mission that she was on was, and, and she was so frustrated. It, she didn't start out on that mission. She, she got on this mission because she had worked for years with individuals on the spectrum and helped them to, you know, reach places in, and be able to communicate that they hadn't been able to before. But then they got to a certain age and they were left behind. As she would say, they didn't have a seat at the table. Right. It shows that um, statistics show that just 29% of those with autism have paid employment, which is one of the experts here says is just tragic. Yeah. 
Yes, especially when we know that these individuals, once hired, become some of the best employees. And we've heard this from countless companies. And 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 please, I know some of you are going to write in and go, yes, but that's only for a certain type of autism. I want you to know that it isn't necessarily. That um, a big watershed moment for me was when we had the folks from Autism Works now on and I was interviewing a wide variety of the kids about, you know, what do you like about your job with Autism Works Now? And that, you know, one of our favorite people um, who is considered largely nonverbal, that he doesn't have a lot of spoken words, was able to convey to us that it gives him purpose. Right. You and, know, there were, Wyatt was a part of that program and there were yeah. lots of kids like Wyatt and Zachary Picard and other kids who aren't necessarily considered high functioning or not considered high functioning, but they have the ability to work and to do tasks, you know, once shown. And Wyatt loved working at Glorious Pies. They sold pies at events Mm -hmm. and um, he was able to do that job. Um, And Joanne just had a real knack for fitting uh, kids into jobs. Yes. And, and, and the whole point of Autism Works Now and then Glorious Pies was to help them to know how to interview. It wasn't supposed to be their be-all, end-all job. That wasn't the ticket. It was supposed to help them to put their resume together, to have an email account, to help them to know how to interview, to go through many different practice interviews, both you know in a safe environment with their peers, but also to go to real places like Google and do the interviews. And then they would work at Glorious Pies so that they would have the experience of here's, you know, who I listen to, how I execute my job, how I get my paycheck, what happens when I get my paycheck, preparing them to go into another job. Which brings us to this story because Google is saying that they've made this commitment and um, that part of and that Stanford is helping them to prepare individuals. Um, But one of my favorite things about it is that they're going to change their interview process to level the playing field. And so in some cases, they might give the interview questions beforehand so that the individual can think them through. Uh, In some cases, they will grant more time during the interview so that it's not rush, 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 rush. Um, And someone said, well, isn't that going to show unfair bias to the people on the spectrum? And I love their answer that they were like, no, we're going to make it before we were showing unfair bias by not accommodating their needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need more people like this yes. um, and more opportunities like this. And they're also, can we just say this, that Joanne is in heaven going, yes, mm-hmm. we're going to give as many as 500 Google cloud managers additional training on how to effectively, you know, deal with issues and support people who are on the autism spectrum. Cause you know, people get very inflexible and they're like, this is how you do the job. And this is what you do for the job. And this is how you do it. And when somebody says, like Dr. Stephen Shore, who raises his hand and says, can I wear a baseball cap? I know it's against the rules at the university to do that, but can I wear a baseball cap? Because it helps me to not be driven crazy by the buzzing of the fluorescent lights that a well-trained person goes, yes, absolutely. Wear the hat. And now we get the benefit of everything you know for the next 40 years as one of the most perfect employees we've ever had. Great example. Uh, yeah. Right. But if not, you know, we've all met the person who's like, nope, we don't allow hats. There's no hats here because hats aren't allowed. And there's no reason why hats aren't allowed. It's just a rule. That's my impression of Joanne when she does her stupid person uh, who's not being flexible because Joanne will always go, well, we're doing this. You know? <laughs> so, um, but, you know, and I don't mean to say that people are stupid. I just think that sometimes people are inflexible. Mm-hmm. And we have to be flexible, especially with, in dealing with those on yes. the autism spectrum. Just open up your minds yes. to a different way of doing things. And listen, if you need information about how well it works for companies, it was just last year that 60 Minutes with uh, Anderson Cooper did a whole piece on how great it is for companies when they hire people who are on the spectrum because often their attention to detail, they're good employees, they are steady Freddie, they enjoy their jobs, that sometimes other people go, well, it's just it's just unexciting, it's too mundane, and that the order of it for fun- some folks on the spectrum is like, woohoo, they absolutely love it. You know, it's really um, using people's strengths, I think. So yay to Google um, for having 
teamed up and yay for Stanford for making this happen. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, now, we, Vince is going to be joining us in just a second, Nancy. And okay. we're going to be talking today about how we deal with the frustrations um, and the feelings and the difficulties and the guilt and the shame and the anger when you're not able to access um, as much of it, a quality ABA, ABA program as you would like. And the truth of the matter is, is that this can happen for lots of different reasons. I know a lot of our viewers are in different places around the world where you don't have insurance coverage and there might be a provider, but you'd have to pay for it out of pocket and you can't afford it. Or there might not even be a provider. Like it's not even an option that if you were a gazillionaire, you still couldn't pay for it because it's not there. And then, you know, all the other problems range from, you know, people having multiple sick children so that they can't do it. But here in the United States, too, we've added a new one, which is there is such a horrible and devastating lack of workforce because of COVID and because, you know, it is a simple equation that um, if someone, listen, and we benefited greatly as a family, my husband was out of work for 18 months. And, um, you know, it was really helpful that he got unemployment and got extra money in his unemployment that helped, helped us to, you know, be able to not fall behind on things, you know? So I, I don't want to in any way disparage that program. However, it's very hard to convince someone to come back to work if they're getting paid more to stay home. Right. And that's happening a lot out there. It is happening. There's it is. also the issue, Shannon, as you are well aware of, is a quality ABA. Yes. And I just recently was counseling a mom with a 10-year-old with severe autism who she said, well, we tried ABA. It didn't work for us. It was really not good. And I said, but did you try quality ABA? And encouraged her to go back to the drawing boards and try and get, because this young, this boy was having a lot of very aggressive, violent behaviors and her respite workers were unable to deal with it. So quality ABA is a huge issue as well. Yes, it absolutely is. You know, that's the song that I sing all the time. And I have to say too, that it's not, because a lot of times families will come to me and they'll say, you know, we tried ABA and it didn't work for us. And then I say to them, talk to me about that. Cause I think that that's the issue that they didn't get good quality ABA. Right. And, they'll, and they'll say, you know, we were taking him 10 hours a week right. and um, you know, and we just saw no progress and, and I, you know, and I got to go, Oh my gosh. Um, because a big part of what we talk about here is that there is a prescription mm-hmm. um, for each individual and it's different for each individual. But for instance, in this case, it was uh, at the time, this kiddo was three. And they were getting 10 hours of ABA, which in my opinion is just enough, even if it's good quality ABA, it's, it's just enough for them to have just enough progress for it to be frustrating to them. It's sort of like sentencing them to be in the terrible twos for a long period of time, because it's like, oh yeah, now we've made you aware of the fact that there is this thing called language and that your life would be easier if you use it, but we're not going to give you enough instruction for you to get good at it. I don't know. Um, I don't know if people... I don't know how everybody else is, but like there's a new program that we have at work that I have to do to submit something. And I only have to do it once a month. And, and it's just not user-friendly to my Luddite brain. And uh, so every month it's this thing and, and everybody says to me, but you're going to get used to it and you'll eventually you'll do it and it'll be no big thing. And I'm like, when will that be? Because I do it once a month and each month I have to go back to square one because I don't remember do I click this button first or do I click that person? If I had to do it every day, I would have already had it figured out, right? But once a month, it's just enough that I go, oh, I know I've been able to do it before. And it's frustrating to me. And I'm, you know, a 58-year-old woman who can talk anyone under the table and and I'm capable of asking for help. And I think they're all sick of me coming and saying, can you help me? I don't know how to, they're like, we did show this to you last month. And I'm like, Yes, but I don't have a memory that long. Guess what? Our kids don't either. Right. And I think that's a really good analogy, Shannon. And I know you and I are both huge proponents 
of quality ABA with the recommended prescription of as many hours, preferably 40 hours a week, as early as possible. And I come at that from having started with my son late. And, you know, I mean, it's just a what is. Uh, it's my reality. But if I could have done it over again, of course I would have gotten him ABA at the age of two for 40 hours a week. And we want all of you to um, really try to get that recommended prescription. Um, and we encourage everybody to do that. Um, we're coming from very different perspectives, Shannon and myself, but we both have the same conclusion. I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm typing and I didn't mute myself. I'm just asking Traven to um, check with Vince to see if he's having the same problem you are, because I know Vince is super punctual and that he would normally be here. But, um, you know, one of the things that I want to talk through with Vince is that that I think both of us can relate to, Nancy. I don't think there's been a single person who ended up getting good quality ABA that didn't go through a period of time where it was really frustrating because you knew what to do and you couldn't get it, get access to it because mm -hmm. you want to start immediately. And there is no starting immediately ever. Um, but some people are, you know, at the point where they're in the, they're, they're in the, the, the shoot, so to speak, and they're waiting um, and they're like, when is it going to happen? And then there are other people who are like, I, I'm not even in the shoot because there's no shoot to be in. There's no place in my country to get this. But I think all of us, would you agree, Nancy, that if you're not getting, if you don't know that you're getting good quality ABA for your child or somebody that you love, it's a horrible feeling. It's a horrible feeling. And, um, you know, hopefully we can get Vince on here to talk about the guilt um, there's so many, I, I really feel for those people that want it, know yeah. that what good it will do and they can't access it. It must be just, that must be a horrible feeling. And I can totally relate to those of you that waited and waited because we waited and, uh, did not get it for a year after we first applied because of funding and other things we started paying privately, um, but it took a long time. We had a late diagnosis. There's so many things um, that that can contribute to getting it late and not getting the recommended number of hours. And then uh, there's the guilt we, we feel when that has been the case. And I can certainly relate because that's my situation that happened. But I, I am so thankful for the ABA we did get. And I'm so thankful for the strides that were made by my son uh, even though he did not get the recommended amount at the recommended age. So, um, you know, this is something, if you want to write into us, if you're having frustrations, um, I, I see there, Christina says, trying to recover from surgery is hard. Wish I would have trained my support ABA techniques before my surgery. Christina uh, can totally understand that uh, sentiment. I also love that she commented before that we do every waking hour ABA and, um, and that, you know, we talk about the prescription for ABA quality ABA and that, you know, for some people, like there are some people that 10 hours is the prescriptive amount, but that's much different for a three-year-old. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that it's important to note that it is different for everyone but that prescription, prescriptive number is the amount of the ideal amount of hours that you would be doing with quality ABA trained professionals. But that Christina is absolutely right that what, you know, what really is ad, advantageous is if you're doing every wake of, waking hours. So if the caregivers learn what the behavior technicians are doing yeah. and uphold that in every week, waking hour, that it is much found to be much more effective. I also yeah, want to say, I know you're a big proponent of the skills program as well, uh, which is something that parents can do on their own, which can help create that continuity of, of ABA. Yes. Um, I want to say that USA uh, GI444, we're saying hello to you. Uh, somebody has written in and said, my stepdaughter is on the autism spectrum. We welcome you to the conversation. We welcome her to the conversation. Um, we're talking uh, um, in general about the frustrations of when you can't get the thing that everybody is telling you works and that you've, you've come to say, okay, I think this is the thing. Science has shown this is what's effective. Um, that 
you know, we, we want to be able to do this and when you can't gain access to it. Uh, and we want Vince is here, but we're having we're having the same issue with him, Nancy. I don't know how we resolved it with you, but we're going to see if we can get him in here so that he can uh, join us. He's seeing the conversation, but may, I, I don't know why we aren't able to. Here we go. We have Vince. It worked. Vince, you got to help Ooh. us out of here. So Vince is a licensed marriage. Vince Redmond is a uh, licensed marriage and family counselor. He is that unicorn thing that not only is he an LMFT, but for a lot of years, he started out as a a behavior technician Mm -hmm. and he's actually featured in the film Recovered. You can see what Vince looked like when he was just a 19 year old pup being a BT. And look, this is what some of your BTs grow up to be. I was in my twenties. Were you? (laughs) Well, you were amazing. You were a gift to the families that you were working with. But I bring this up because um, Vince has that whole wealth of knowledge. He still works in the field of autism and supports kiddos as uh, and teens as supervisor. But he also is a licensed marriage and family therapist. So he, better than anybody else I know, has the capability to help us to deal with the feelings that come up in and around ABA. So we introduced the topic and we talked a little bit about the frustrations that can come when you can't access it. Um, Vince, help us out. What do we do with those feelings of guilt and loss of control and fear and anger? And I think, yeah, and I think especially right now, there's a lot going on in in our communities, our regions, our counties and and the such that are, you know, in our, and I know for us, for our nation is, you know, actually restricting you know, the access to, to treatment. So, you know, as I was listening to you, to both of you ladies talking about, you know, what, what happens when everyone's saying, this is what you need to do and you can't get it. And I think Mm. that's the biggest frustration that I wish I had the magic, you know, the magic answer for, for everybody, because I know the need is far greater than what the needs are, especially right now coming out of the pandemic. Um, you know, my, my first thing is, you know, just to answer your question, Shannon, what do we do with the frustration, the anger, the feelings? I think the first thing we want to know is acknowledge them. Why are we upset? Are we upset because we don't want to do this? Or are we upset? Are we frustrated because there's a lack of, of uh, experience or knowledge and, and uh, resources within our area? Are we upset because we have found an agency, we have found people, however, there's waiting lists, they don't, you know, they don't have BTs or, or supervisors, or maybe they're just inundated, you know. Um, So the first thing is really identifying where our feelings are coming from, right? Because some of them I'm going to, I'm going to guess are residual grief and bereavement, right? Um, On the diagnosis itself, Vince, are you talking about residual grief on the diagnosis itself? Correct. Correct. And I think because the more we're faced on dealing with it, right, we, we then have some feelings of, of grief. We have some feelings of anger. We still have those feelings of disappointment that are coming up, even though we're taking that first step to actually getting services, getting help, getting what needs to be done, right? So as we're dealing with our own grief and we're dealing with our own bereavements, right, now we're facing barriers to to actually access what the professionals are asking us to access. So a lot of families are feeling in that catch-22. They're still bereaving from the diagnosis and a little bit of, of, of those emotions, those raw emotions, those angers, those disappointments, that sadness. And now we're being met with the frustration and the, and the confusion of how do we access the services that are actually being recommended. So being able to identify that in ourselves, I think, is our first step. That will help guide us on what do we do next, right? We care for ourselves and our own bereavements. We, we, we take uh, um, ownership and recognition and, and acceptance of our own feelings in bereaving. And then we also look at, okay, now how do we work with getting, work with our insurance, work with our agencies, work with our, you know, uh, uh, advocates and community resources to try to get services that the, you know, that each child needs. So that's the first step. Um, now I know, I'm, I guess I'll just keep, I'll keep going because I know one- Can I bring up one thing though? Yeah, um, no, I just, because that just really resonated what you said with me, Vince. And 
And I think a lot of times when we come into this community and there is all that grief, we can get stuck in it. But I just want to plug, Nancy did a series for us a, a few years back that's called Empowering Parents. And that playlist is available on our YouTube channel where you can just go and watch those all the way through. Cause I think Nancy will give you a little boost in your keister that will help you to like put your shoulders back and be like, I can do this. And you know, I, I happen to love the band U2 and I'm just the other day uh, I was listening to Bono talk about their new record, which is the title of it is we are the people we have been waiting for. And that has just been resonating with me that, yes, we talk about all the time here on the show that it's great when you can have support. We wish all of you can be with a great quality ABA provider and that you have a really qualified BCBA working on your team. But whether you have that or you don't, we, I think we can all agree, all three of us, that one of the strongest components of any child or teenager or adults program is uh, the, the person who, the caregiver and, and that if you will remember that you are a large part of this part of this equation, you are the person you've been waiting for. Listen right. to Nancy, and it will be clear to you that you can do this. Now, I you, Shannon, I want to just give a plug for a book that was a new resource for me. It's called Reality Slap, Finding Peace. Russ in Harris. You're Russ Harris, When Life Hurts. It's got positive affirmations and positive thinking. Um, it's helped me. I bought that book because I've had to deal with a lot of feelings of grief and uh, disappointment about why getting therapy late. Um, and for many years, I tortured myself. And it's really helped me come to more of a place of acceptance. So for those of you Good. that are not able to, you know, and, you know, and, and thank you, Nancy, because we've been plugging that book from the beginning of time when Evelyn Gould was a regular on this show. That's that book is the, the basis of using ACT acceptance commitment therapy in ABA. And, you know, Evelyn uh, left us to go get her Ph.D. in that and did a seminal study in that and how effective it is in treating uh, caregivers of kids on the spectrum. So great book. And it just so happens that Russ Harris is a parent of an individual on the spectrum. So he's writing it from a place that we can all, I think, resonate with um, and, and act a much more accepted modality as, you know, Vince can probably talk about much more eloquently than anybody, but great book. Thanks for referencing that. And I'm glad to hear that it helped you. So Vince, we sidetracked you for a second, but I just, I thought what you were saying was so powerful. I wanted to make sure that we address that, you know, the, we do have resources to empower a parent. Um, please watch Nancy's thing and, and please check out Reality Slap. Well, I think this kind of is a good segue into what are some of the other, we're getting forced right now to really rely and really look at what are the other resources we can use while we're waiting or while we're in the, you know, in the assessment stages for ABA. Right. There's lots of different reasons and we can talk, maybe, you know, maybe talk about a, a few of them of why I, the, re, the right now, the biggest concern that I hear from families is why are there not enough staff? Why is there not enough mm -hmm. supervisors? Why are there not enough PTs? Why, why, you know, it's immediately assumed that CARD or other agencies, you know, aren't applying better wages, better benefits, better incentives, those types of things, preferred scheduling. And it's not that, it's not that at all. And we've, <laughs> I know we've done that. I'm actually very close friends with many other, uh, you know, owners of other ABA organizations. Typically they spawn from CARD at some point in time. Um, so, you know, I know, I know them and they experience the same thing. So this really now leads us to um, what do we do in the meantime? Right. I mean, we can talk of the reasons why, but I think more importantly for our listeners is what do we do in the meantime? Don't stop. Stay on the wait list. Make sure we're going through the assessments. Turn your assessments in. It There will be a coming. Right. As soon as some of the things change in government and government supports, those BTs will be back at work when they're back at school. Um, but right now, what are some of the, those support groups the the books you know like we were just talking with reality slaps what are some of the other you know skills like being able to do some of the the programs on your own at home learning how to be 
uh, or, or learning a little bit more about uh, you know autism and you know um, um, the you know the, the research behind uh, ABA. What are some of the you know uh, uh, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. You know other supportive services that we can that your child's going to need speech services, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and the such. The, just because we can't get into AB right now doesn't mean the rest of the resources have stopped. So my my biggest um, recommendation for families is if ABA, if you're not available to ABA right now, continue to pursue it, continue to make sure it's coming. However, be well read, look at the, you know, meet with other families, meet with other uh, individuals who either have services or have children that have autism um, and the such. Um, you know, we also want to make sure that that we're looking at, um, you know, uh, uh, what other services are being recommended at this time. Is it, do they need speech therapy? Do they need physical therapy, occupational? Like invest in that. Get them going in that. Make sure that those developmental areas are being addressed and worked on. Make sure that, like I said, make sure that we're increasing our knowledge, parent training, parent, you know, involvement. What what can I do as a parent to better understand this? All of this is going to benefit you once ABA starts, right? So not only it's benefiting your child right now, as your child is receiving direct intervention of, of a type or of a source, right? It's also gonna benefit you because ABA will then come in and melt or melt all that together into a nice comprehensive program for you. I love that. Sorry, Shannon. No, you go right ahead. Since you talk about uh, prep time and doing as much as you can, it's also a time that you can get everybody on board. And we did have a comment from Christina about lack of help from her partner. I, she wrote it in, so hopefully she doesn't mind me saying that. Um, her husband is no help with their son. And some people have caregivers as well that uh, come in. So this is a time that everybody should be brought on board, right, Grant Vince? Absolutely. And I think it's also time to really explore our funding sources and what services and supports that they can give you, right? I mean, insurance can do much more than just ABA. They have other resources and groups and things that they can support. Your local, you know, uh, school districts have a list of different resources and supports that they can help your family with. Um, you know, different, you know, I know it's different per state and per area, but, you know, the things like regional centers or mental, you know, uh, uh, county mental health programs, they too have resources that can assist you. We have Autism Speaks. We have, you know, the Autism Society of America. We have TACA. We, you know, lots of, you know, lots of very, you know, nationally known um, networks that have a ton of support and resources for families. Invest in those, invest time in looking at those, invest time in those resources. They are there for you, they are fabulous, they're wonderful, and they do continue to prep you, you know, as you head towards your ABA. Yeah, TACA is a great resource because they have parent support groups where, uh, I don't know about you, Shannon, but I learned more about therapy and uh, ways to recover my son through other parents than through any other source. Yeah, absolutely. I think Taka has the most comprehensive site uh, for anything that you're looking for. Um, You know, honestly, I mean, you know, we have a site and we do videos and we've been doing them for 10 years. And I still, when people are looking for resources, I say, go, you know, look at our videos, but go to Taka. Uh, Taka has great resources and you'll get the opportunity to talk directly with other parents. I encourage people to join Taka. It's a very nominal fee per year. I think it's something like $27. And then you get the benefit of a free mentor, another parent who's walked through the whole thing and is, you know, fit to you so that you can have somebody to help. I know, I I know we're running out of time here, um, Vince, and I love this topic, but I don't want to leave the conversation you know, we do have a dear friend of the show who's written in and said that this is a particularly rough time. I'm going to paraphrase and just saying, you know, Nancy was saying that, you know, she's not getting the help and support that she needs and she's recovering from a procedure. I, 
I, I just, I, you know, I wondered if we could just talk for a second, you guys, about, I think everybody's dealt with something of, of some thread like this where, you know, you need a little bit more help than you've needed before and somebody isn't picking up on the cues about that. Like, I, and I'd love to hear from you guys, but I, I just want to say every family is different and every individual is different. But for me, if I'm not getting the support that I need, what I find you know, I, you know, some people it's like, sit down and have a, a real serious pointed conversation with the individual. I find that doesn't work for me and my spouse. I write a letter because when I write the letter, I get to fix it. And if I say something that's inappropriate or caustic, I can edit and go back and rewrite it and do it. But I get to say everything that I needed to say about what I need and why I need it and why I'm counting on him to provide that. And I've got it concise and then I can give it to him and he can process it in his own way and come back to me with a response, but it's clear. Um, so that's what I do. If I'm, if my uh, partner is not uh, giving me what I need and I, and I, and I've failed at every other way of getting them to see it. I write a letter. Do you guys have, that's my method, but I'm sure there's 35 million methods. What do you guys recommend if the, if the other person in the relationship isn't helping and you need the help and you need it now? I think that's great. I think that's actually a very, a very good idea, especially if you and your spouse understand that this is meant to be a communication, you know, pathway for each other. It's not, uh, 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 you know, hiding behind the computer. It's not that, you know, we can't, you know, sit face to face. This is just a conduit to communication that hopefully leads to more face to face understanding. Now, with that said, I think the other thing that I see a lot with couples in, in, in regards to communication for whatever reason, and I think right now, we're talking about being able to support one another with parenting is a lot of times that's indi indicative that we're not spending enough time together. We're not spending enough time in each other's world to be able to have these conversations, to be able to understand the, the depth of, of, you know, need that one or both parents may need. So my first, my first recommendation would be is to look at what, time we're spending together and try to increase it you know is it just passing chips in the night is it just same old night routines uh coming home it's six seven o'clock eat dinner sit in front of the tv go to bed if that's the case we need to break that we need to increase time that we're going to be communicating and my and, and i have to emphasize this distraction free no cell phones no tvs no you know, uh, things that we're going to put in front of our face to block out what we're, what we're actually trying to, to accomplish. And this turns into a great time together. We have, the, the time is not just to sit there and meet with, or, or to talk heavy stuff. The idea is to increase the amount of time you are together. Sometimes we're talking about heavy stuff, Sometimes we're watching a movie together. Sometimes we're taking a walk with a dog. Sometimes we're eating, you know, uh, uh, we're having a dessert together. The idea is to dedicate a specific amount of time every night to just being with each other. That will increase the communication. That will increase your knowledge of your spouse. That will increase your understanding of where they are in their journey right now. And then... Your job is to support them in their journey. Their job is to support you in your journey. And then hopefully we get the, you know, we get each of us get what we need in the relationship again. Easier said than done, I guess is what I want to say there. I think that's really good advice. I'm I'm still not good at that. And Nancy, I know that you and Reed had one, you, have, you guys had a stellar relationship, exemplary we did, relationship. We did, but Shannon, I have to tell you that I got to a point, and I know Holly Robinson-Pete talks about this with Rodney Pete. I basically said, it's, we're going to be in this and we're going to, you know, work with this child or I'll do it on my own. Yeah. You either come and join me or I'm going to do it myself. Now, I don't recommend that for everybody to say, you know, the, an ultimatum like that. But um, I had to get to that point. And then he got on board and we worked together. I think Vince's recommendation is a conciliatory, much better 
recommendation. But sometimes you do have to say, look, I'm at a breaking point here. And yeah. I need you to be, get on board. And don't forget to other resources of support like best friends and yes. parents. Absolutely. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes you have to rely on them while you're waiting for the spouse to come around. Yeah, absolutely. You guys, we're out of time, but I just appreciate both of you so much. I want to thank both of you um, for being here with us. Vince, you're amazing. Well, and, you know, it was our fault. We got something going on. I don't know what it is, uh, but we'll try to have that fixed before Monday. On Monday, it is the rescheduled show where we're having Millie Quinones Dunlap on with us. She is a pain, a U.S. certified pain specialist talking about how we deal with pain. Because we've had a lot of people writing in on and off the spectrum, caregivers and and folks on the spectrum talking about pain. And it is a particular thing. Everybody's trying uh, really hard nowadays to address pain and not rely on things that become addictive. And so that's what we're going to be talking about on Monday. She, you know, it sounds like a really serious subject, but she's one of the funniest people I know on the planet. So I'm excited to have her here uh, because I'm sure it will make it interesting and fascinating. Uh, so we're looking forward to that on Monday. So you'll want to stay tuned. Nancy, thank you so much for giving up part of your time in Big Bear to be with us. We just thank adore you. Thank you, Shannon. Love, love being here with you all. Check Nancy's Empowering Parents out on our YouTube channel. It is such a worthwhile uh, thing to go through. It, it won't take you long to go through it, but it's binge worthy. Let's say that. So again, we'll be back on Monday. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. And yourselves a hug from me. Bye-bye for now. Bye, Bye Ben. Take care.